You know this world is full of preachers But just a few are chosen Stay tuned for Treasured Heritage, a preaching program spotlighting those servants who have gone on to glory. Isaiah 54, 17 says, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And now, Treasured Heritage. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me read two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 16 and 17. I want to bring a very simple message this morning on four reasons why I believe in missions. And I'll try to suggest why I believe in missions, why our church is a missionary church. On the wall of this side, you'll see the pictures of many of the missionaries we're supporting in full or in part. And I want you to see this, if you will, and see the threads going to the various countries. This is quite a, a work of art, I believe. I like it. And I want you to see it. Brother Faulkner designed this for us, did the work on it, much of it, most of it. And uh, you'll look at it, please. See all the rest of our special things around the building. We'll say more about them tonight in the service, but this world up here in the front turns, you know. we got a special uh, design on this. It uh, revolves, but we're saving the revolving right now. Might get your mind on the world and so far away from the sermon for a little bit. All right, First Corinthians chapter 9, verse... Verses 16 and 17. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of time of the gospel is committed unto me. For many years, verse 17 has been somewhat a haunting verse to me. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. It has caused me to examine my work and to say I want to do what I do in a willing way because when I do so, here's a promise of God that I'll have a reward. In a plain and practical way, I want to suggest four reasons why I believe in missions, four reasons why I pray for missionaries and for missionary work, four reasons why we give to missions and to missionary enterprises. It's my conviction that Jesus meant what he said when he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. I'm convinced that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I do not believe there's a greater work in this world than the work of missions. And for that reason, we stand for it in this church. And as a pastor, I'm back of it with all of my heart. I want to give four reasons why I hold myself ready for any missionary activity that God desires of me. Four reasons why I want to help young people to get ready for the mission field. Here are the four reasons. Number one, the eternity of the soul. The eternity of the soul. The Bible says the soul is eternal. The Bible speaks of the eternity of the soul. Now, for the next few moments, I want you to see what the Word of God has to say. Just a few verses. Listen very carefully. You'll not have time to find them in your Bibles, but just listen to them. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Notice again, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In Daniel 12, 2. Listen again, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In Matthew 10, 28. Listen, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Notice the eternity of the soul. Listen. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, 
but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. Listen, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Listen to it. Romans 6.22, But now being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Listen again. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And again, and this is a promise that he has promised us even eternal life. First John 2.25 Now all of these verses and many others could be read from the word of God to show you the eternity of the soul. My friend, you are an eternal soul. You are an eternal soul. Now, I might add to that, you are a who, if you forget it. You're a who, if you begin to think that this life is all, this body, this life, your job, your work, your money, your position, your place. You are an eternal soul. This is what the Bible has to say about it. Your body may be placed away in the grave, but your soul goes on. Your soul does not die. You are an eternal soul. When you leave this earth, you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell, in a place of eternal bliss and joy and happiness, or in a place of eternal sorrow and misery and woe and suffering. In hell, you are an eternal soul. Now, that's something that you must keep before you. That's something so important it's impossible for me to overemphasize this fact of the eternity of the soul. That's the reason for mission work. That's the reason we send out missionaries. That's the reason we believe in missionaries. That's the reason we have a missionary conference like this one. Because the soul is eternal. If the soul should go to hell for just a little while, then be released and come back to this earth, or be released and go into a place of bliss after a time of suffering, we'd say, stop all missionary work. Stop it all. Why send missionaries out? But the soul is eternal. The soul is eternal. And this is given by the word of God. Secondly, I believe in missionary activity because of the veracity of Jesus Christ. The veracity of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Son of God is truth. Therefore, his record, his words must be accepted. Christ says that souls are saved or lost. Christ told us about heaven or about hell. Christ told that men are eternal beings. And because of the teaching of the Son of God, because Jesus is true, you come to me and tell me a certain thing, it may be that I don't desire to believe it. I may turn away from you and say, I can't accept it. I have no obligation to believe it. Why? Because you're a man. And you may make mistakes and you may tell a lie just as quickly as you give the truth. But with the Son of God, he could not lie because Jesus was and is the truth. He said, I am the truth. I'm the truth. We believe the Son of God. Because we believe Jesus, we have to go and give the message of the Savior. He's the only source of life. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This is the word of God. Jesus said, he that believeth in me hath everlasting life. There are some poor men of days gone by and tossed aside the veracity of Jesus Christ. But they've long since discovered that Christ meant exactly what he said. 
and that he is the truth. They've long since discovered what God meant when he said, let God be true, but every man a liar. They've long since found it out. Oh, no sooner does one step from the little earth that we have here to the other side into eternity until he knows the fullness of all things that we're saying to you. Jesus Christ, the truth. He has the power to save you. He has the power to save men and women. He has the power to save Jew and Gentile alike. It makes no difference. What a marvelous power is this power of Jesus Christ. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and to all in Jews and Gentiles. He has the power to save. Jesus said, I'm come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus, the Son of God, spoke the truth. And Jesus came to be salvation unto all men who have received as Savior, Lord, and Master. Do you know Christ is your Savior this morning? Are you trusting in Him? He has the power to save Jew and Gentile. I was reading this last week. A little word somewhere in one book about Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse, who is supposed to be around here, I think, this week in our meetings. He's been with us numbers of times before. But he gave his testimony, his message out in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And when he finished his sermon, someone told him about an Austrian Jew who was living in Shawnee and going to the nearby nearby university. Dr. Gardenhouse thought it would be a fine thing to go to see him, and he went to see this young man. The young man became incensed and angry and drove him from his room. He left some tracks, and Dr. Gardenhouse said, I knew as soon as I left the tracks to be put in the wastebasket. It had nothing to do with him. The young man was angry, a Jewish boy, and he had nothing for the Christ that Dr. Gardenhouse was trying to talk about. He went away, but in some years he was back in Shawnee, Oklahoma again for a Sunday night service. And before he gave his message, the pastor got up and said, I want a young man to come and to lead us in prayer. And he called the name of the young man. And to the platform walked the Austrian Jew, the young man to whom Gardenhouse had testified some years before. Came to the platform and led in prayer in the name of Jesus. What had happened? He gave his testimony to him and went on his way. The young man was called into the service of our country. In the service of our country, some boys found him and began to witness to him and gave him the message of Jesus Christ. And he came into salvation and was testifying to the power of God to save sinners. What a marvelous power. Again, Jesus has a willingness to save. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He wants to save. He yearns to save. He longs to save. He waits to save. And he's waiting this morning to save some of you. If you'll come to it now. And again, our Christ is concerned. Oh, everywhere I turn in this Bible, I find the compassion of Jesus. Everywhere I see the tears of the Master as he wept over the city of Jerusalem, as he talked about poor sinners and about their lost condition, the concern of Jesus Christ. Christ is the truth. All lost without peace. Hey, well, Brother Robertson, that's not just the way that I always thought it was going to be. That's not the way that I had it. It doesn't matter, dear one. It's what this Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. And you must receive the word of the Son of God. I'm a missionary, and I believe in missions because of the truth of my Savior, the veracity of Jesus Christ. But I want to give a third thing. I'm missionary, and distinctly missionary, because of the destiny, the destiny of the damned. This is the sad thing. The destiny of the damned. Oh, yes, I know the power of Jesus to save. But when I read in my Bible certain words, 
that tell about men and women without Christ and what is going to happen to them and the sufferings of an eternal hell. That it makes me say, oh God, let me do better. Let me send out more missionaries. Let this church do a better job in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. For this Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned and condemned already. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Listen, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Where do the lost go? Where do the lost go? The lost go into eternal hell. And when a man dies without Jesus Christ, his soul is lost forever and forever and forever. And there's no changing. What a sad and awful thing. We have all been come short of the glory of God. But Jesus died for sinners and their salvation in his blessed name. But when one refuses Jesus Christ, when one turns away from the Son of God, when one does not receive Jesus as Savior, then there's the tragic, awful thing of hell. And we can get away from it. The destiny of the damned is what drives me on. I'm glad God spoke to my heart about something. A number of years ago, I got away from a certain idea. I'm just concerned about people. People, you get that? Just people. Rich or poor, anybody, anywhere, I'm concerned about people getting saved. Getting saved, and I don't know who they are. They have on a $200 suit, and they have on a suit handed down from somebody else. I'm concerned because souls are lost. The destiny of the damned is hell. Preached on Friday night in Birmingham. Some of our young people were there. A man came up to me after the service. He said, Brother Robertson, I heard you speak in another meeting. He said, I came along just to see you tonight to speak to you here. Have a word with you about my work. And he said this. He said, I just finished a short time ago, three years, as chaplain of a state penitentiary. Well, I said, say, that's wonderful. That's marvelous. What are you doing out of there? Why, why don't you stay with it? He said, sir, I could not stand it. I saw him stand there with the tears beginning in his eyes. He said, I could not endure it. There may be some men who go into a pen and get used to the walls and the incarceration, but he said, there are some that never do. And he said, for them, it's a hell on earth. And for three years, I tried to minister to them. I preached, I tried to win souls, and I'm sure he did. He's a good man of God. But he said, after three years, I had to get away. He said, I could not endure it. Just being posed in the walls and seeing the men and hearing their anxious words and knowing their families on the outside and sometimes seeing their loved ones. It was too much. And he said, I simply couldn't stand it. I had to get away. When he told me that story, I thought of souls being lost without Jesus Christ. I thought of the awful penalty of one who dies without the Savior. I thought of hell where there's no chance of any escape at all. There is none whatsoever. It forever and forever. The destiny of the damned. And I thought of this amazing story of our Savior. I believe it's a true account which Jesus gave as a record in Luke 16 of the rich man and the beggar taking to die and the beggar was carried to the angels in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. In hell he began to weep and cry, and said, Ten Lazarus, the poor from the gate side. Ten Lazarus said he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. 
When that could not be done, he said, then send somebody. I've got five brothers. Send them so they'll not get here. What if this morning there was a way that we could open up the pit of hell and let voices speak? If somehow this morning we could tune our ears to hear the cry of the suffering out of eternity away from God, away from Christ, away from heaven, in the awful face of hell, away forever and ever. We could hear the cry. How some would be crying for loved ones here in the city of Chattanooga. How some would be saying like this man, I have five brothers. They may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. The destiny of the damned. Can you not see what Jesus was doing? He was doing all in his power. Everywhere that he spoke. Here in this story of Dives and Lazarus. But in every portion of the Word of God, as he talked to Nicodemus, as he talked to the blind beggars, as he talked to the lepers, in every place, they people see the eternity of the soul and the destiny of men who reject Jesus Christ, who go out of this world unprepared to meet God. And again, we must remind ourselves that the devil and his angels will be in hell. I read it to you a moment ago. The devil and his angels will be in hell. What an awful place. What an awful place. The destiny of those who die without Christ. And now my last word. Listen. The uncertainty of life. The uncertainty of life. This plows me in the missionary world. This sends me out into it. This causes me to go on. This makes me want to get my money and ask the church to give more and more commissions and to missionary endeavors. Because of the uncertainty of life. Listen to it. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. For what is your life? It's just a vapor. Just a vapor. Just a little fog. Just for a while. Then gone. But eternity. Eternity. The life may be brief, but there's eternity. The uncertainty of life. The uncertainty of life constrains us to give the gospel to those around us and to those in distant places. We have no promised days. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Therefore, we must be busy. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time that God has given to you. This is the time that our Savior has said, Now come and be saved. And repent and believe and know Christ as Savior. David says, There's just a step which me in death. How near is it? Just a step. Just a step. Even less than that, David. Just the beat of your heart. Just the beat of your heart. That's how close you are to the awfulness of death. And eternity without Jesus Christ. If you're lost, away from God. Death may come at any time. There's something else you mustn't forget. Jesus may come at any time. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Because I'm looking for my Savior to come. My friend, it behooves me to be ready and to know Christ as Savior. This morning, dear one, you must say, I want Christ as my Savior. I don't know what's coming tomorrow, whether death or the second coming of Jesus. But I know that I want to be ready. Some of you are saying, why doesn't Jesus come quickly? Why doesn't he come right now? I'll tell you why. Listen, listen carefully. The Lord's not slack in turning his promise as some men count slack. But his long-suffering word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why God delays? God is delaying because he's wanting people to be saved. God is giving an opportunity for men and women to repent and believe and be saved. 
They refuse it, that God can't do anything about it. God is saying, we're waiting a while. We're waiting a while before the return of Jesus. We're giving a little time. And one day Jesus shall come. Do you know when he comes? Will you be saved when he comes? Will you be ready when Jesus comes? Say that my hope is in Jesus. Jesus is coming again. God wants you to know Christ. Giving time. Some of you are here this morning. You're away from Jesus Christ. You've never been saved. God is giving you this hour right now, this very moment. God is saying now, come on. God is saying don't put it off. There may not be tonight. God is saying don't wait. Death may come or Jesus may come. I may have to send him at any time. God is saying now is the time to repent of your sin. And believe in Jesus Christ. And be saved now. There was an old teacher. He used to say to his pupils. You should repent the day before you die. You should repent the day before you die. And the pupils would answer back when he made that speech. We don't know when we're going to die. And the teacher would say, then you should repent now, today. Right now. Oh, dear one, don't put it up. Don't say after a while. Don't say, I want Christ as my Savior today. In this very hour, I'll thank you. I'll for it. Back in day of 1848, there came a terrible bug. Some of you remember reading about it. Thank me. First, the warning to them. This was the warning that everyone should race to the high ground and try to save his life. When the warning signal came in Vanport, Oregon in 1948 in May, some of them laughed at it. Some of them said, why, we've heard that before. That's foolishness that we're not going to run. They didn't run. There was a man flying overhead. He was a flight instructor for one of the nearby airports. He looked down and saw the break in the dike. He said at first the break was only six feet wide. In a few seconds it was 60 feet, then 600 feet. Then he said the water was rushing everywhere. When he looked down, he said he could see the people. He could see the people. He said, you know what they were doing? They were rushing around to save their furniture and trying to save their clothes. He said some were trying to lug trunks and suitcases out of the houses. And he could see them from the air. And the waters were rushing. What a touchy thing that a man would be so foolish as to try to save some little clothes and try to save a suitcase and try to save some furniture where everything's going. Everything. My dear friend, you need Jesus now. You don't need to think about tomorrow and next week and next year, but right now. Don't you try to save reputation. Don't try to save your face. But come repenting as a poor sinner and say, Jesus died for me. And I'll trust him now as my personal faith. We appreciate you listening to Treasured Heritage. Tune in at the same time every weekday to hear God's Word. Yes, I want.